0: Welcome back to Beyond Well, a program for people who want to explore our interior lives. We're so grateful for the support of Active Recovery TMS, providing transcranial magnetic stimulation in a neighborhood near you. Active Recovery TMS has an incredible success rate, especially for people whose antidepressants have stopped working. And Dr. Preetham Raj is now offering individual therapy to augment your treatment. Find out more at ActiveRecoveryTMS.com. We're so committed here at Beyond Well to looking at all of the factors that make up our mental well being including some of the external things that can rob us of good health. Say you're in the wrong job or the wrong relationship or maybe even living in the wrong city. You can begin to feel as if you're living outside of your value system and that has a huge impact on mental health. We're talking with people who made deliberate decisions to return to their authentic selves and honor their individual hopes and dreams by making huge changes to their lives. These are incredible stories of courage and I think real resilience, and I hope you enjoy them. Welcome back to Beyond Well. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior life. This month, we have been doing something that I have totally been loving. I'm so passionate about it. We're talking with women about steps they took big and small to find meaning and purpose at Midlife. And we all know how well our values match our lifestyle has a huge impact on our mental health. That's why I am so excited to bring you this conversation with Carolyn Donahoe Mareb. Carolyn, it's so wonderful to speak with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. One of the reasons that this has been so fun for me is that I have specifically tried not to talk to celebrities or people with big trust funds whose lives are really easy. I've tried to talk to regular women who have regular jobs, complicated lives, as we all do, about how they're navigating this stage. So thank you for reaching out to me. Yes, I think I fit the bill on all those <laughs> <laughs> You those. You ran a marketing agency for some time while you were in your early 30s. Is that right? That's right. I did. I had
1: a marketing firm. Um, I did a lot of PR. I worked in, high, I've worked in high tech for many, many years. I did a decade working with Apple. So I had a pretty awesome career. And then I stopped it for a while because I suddenly had one child and then I suddenly had four children because I had a set of triplets.
0: Talk about how that changes the goals, the dreams, and the hopes of a woman once she is tied down with four children.
1: It's just like it all came to a screeching halt. And then this other thing started the next day. The other thing being having a huge family um, that really happened almost in an instant. So I was going to take a teeny bit of time off. A little bit after I'd had my first one, and as I was getting ready to have, to have my second one, and then I found out it was three. I can't be working and doing that, although I have to say I did work. I did work some, even when they were babies. I would put them up to nap, and then I would go and work, and then they would get up from their nap, and I would stop working, and I did that all day long.
0: Did you um, end up feeling some of the isolation and loneliness in those years raising your kids that maybe led to the fact that you started using substances to cope?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what happened was, um, I think I used them quite a bit when I was young, you know, like in, let's say high school, college years, I was kind of really into my career. And then I had all these kids. And when I got a moment to myself, well, it just seemed like it was It was a good thing to pull out that bottle of wine, you know, more and more regularly. And I think it was literally getting a tiny bit of a break from all the parenting that I was doing gave me time to to delve into my next passion, drinking.
0: You know, it's really interesting because there's actually now in recovery centers, there's a name for this phenomenon, which is the mommy wine culture, right? it is how women cope. (laughs) It's an acceptable form of being able to relax. It's something that starts out as a favor to yourself, a way to finally get out of the stress. And then sadly, in too many cases, it gets super, super complicated. So talk about how it became complicated for you. I'll
1: tell you a little bit about the mommy club. I remember seeing someone and we were, and she had a special needs child and I had all these kids. And she said, she looked at me at the park and she said, thank God for wine. And I thought, she's one of me. She's just like me. Years later, I ran into her in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and we became great friends. How did it become (laughs) problematic? You know, I just think, I was doing it more and more regularly. I was realizing I was drinking pretty much every day unless I was sick or somehow otherwise impaired or not available. I was also starting to do things that I didn't do in the Mommy Wine Club, which was to occasionally go out and really hit it hard. you know. And of course I made some companions who liked to do that too. In the program we call them our lower companions. So I found my lower companions and I played and partied with them. And then it became clear to me over a period of a couple of years this is really a problem and I had another clue which was there are alcoholic they say you shake your family tree and bottles fall out well that was definitely the, the case
0: <laughs> so you have Why? the genetic predisposition to being um you know you you have that kind of brain chemistry that really likes the serotonin uptake of alcohol and then you have this in- enormous environmental situation which which is sounds incredibly stressful and you have this accepted way of coping that Nobody is going to look twice at you for saying that you're drinking too much wine. They're like rolling their eyes and going, yes, yes, sister.
1: When I quit, a lot of people questioned me, really questioned me and said, I don't think you were an alcoholic. I said, Uh you don't know what was going on behind closed doors. Trust me when I say I would not have quit unless I really had serious concerns. And I did.
0: I, what I wanted to delve into on these things is how women make changes, especially when you've been doing something for some time. So could you take me through the process of the questions you asked yourself, what you did to say enough is enough. You know, you always hear that sort of tired thing of rock bottom, but that's not been my experience from talking to many women who go sober. It doesn't have to be rock bottom before they decide it is time to change.
1: Yeah. You know, they call us a high bottom, which means I don't lose my house. I don't necessarily lose my spouse. I don't lose it all, but I, but I'm losing enough that I'm noticing. And, um, so that's, that was what was happening with me. And I think many, many other people who I eventually met and came together with in AA, it really looks different for everyone. But I started to ask myself, do I want to be that mom that drank all the way through my child's entire upbringing? Do I want to be that mom who can't drive past 730 at night because I'm going to be in no shape to do so? Do I want to be that person who wakes up one day and says, oh my God, why did I do that?
0: It's so profound. I was just um, going to share at the end of this episode, some of the questions that I think a lot of women are asking themselves at midlife. And one of them is what habits and routines that I have that are going to really impact me in a deleterious way in 20 years. And it sounds like you did that without framing the question quite the same. You were like, do I want to be this person?
1: That's kind of how it came together for me. And then I had that moment I don't know if this was my bottom, but it, it was a moment. I woke up in the morning. It was about six o'clock in the morning. I was in a beautiful hotel room in Chicago with my family. They were all off looking at colleges. I couldn't go, of course, because I had a hangover. Mm-hmm. And I looked up and I said, I can't do this anymore. And I waited till I got back to Portland, like three days later. I made, made it through Easter with my family, didn't overdrink. And the next day I went to my first meeting.
0: Wow. Did you find that the meetings alone were enough support for you, or did you have to do other things to enable enough support to stay sober?
1: I mean, it was kind of a whole raft of things. I had therapy, I had the meetings, which I did what they call 90 and 90, 90 meetings in 90 days, which I think was a really good idea. In fact, you know, I wanted a freaking A in AA, so I did 130 and 90.
0: <laughs> um <but laughs> little perfectionism in, you know, in there just a, just a little <laughs> bit
1: and i was facing some issues too i was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in 2009 2010 so i had that working too and i didn't know was it going to make it worse to, ha- to not have the drinks or make it better or be the same what i did find was finally my medication worked for the first time ever.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That That's a really good shout out to other people who are thinking that they can drink while they're on bipolar medication, because I have heard that from so many doctors. They're like, you know, people are on mood stabilizers and they think that they can still drink. It's like, it's doing exactly the opposite of what your mood stabilizer is attempting to do for your brain. Exactly. And bipolar disorder,
1: you have these big swings and they go like this and like this. And what the alcohol is doing is providing this friction kind of in between. So you've got now the two of the swings and it's too much. Your body cannot overcome that.
0: You seem like you're doing so well now. Did the decision to stay sober open up other opportunities for you that you might not have seen otherwise?
1: Yeah. I mean, I ended up going back to work, which I hadn't done since my kids were little. I mean, I had done some work like freelance writing and things like that, but even that was was impaired by my drinking, was impaired by my bipolar. Um, So my work was tended to be seasonal. And so when I finally had a little time sober, I got a, a message from someone out of the blue, someone I had worked with at Apple who had actually job shared with, and she said, come work at my agency. So I went and I worked at this digital marketing agency and got a whole other career out of it. That's incredible. And what age
0: was that happening? 54, 53, 54. Did you ever in your wildest dreams, especially when you were like a teenage girl, imagine yourself starting a brand new career at the age of 54?
1: No. And I may be starting yet another thing because I have some opportunities that have come around recently. I mean, I think I'm probably going to be working till I'm 70, 75, why not? I'm only going to be 58. I might as well have another career or two. I don't know. But no, I would have never, I would have told you I'm going to be either a publicist or a writer till I quit. And I probably thought I was going to quit and never go back to work. None of that happened. And I'm pretty glad for it actually.
0: In hindsight, what do you think were the factors that were preventing you from taking the steps you knew you needed to take? in order to get healthy and joyful and productive?
1: The number one, they say something in AA about how we're plagued by a hundred forms of fear. Well, a hundred forms of fear is exactly what I felt every day. And I didn't even realize it. That was the crazy thing. I didn't realize it till I was out of it. Mm. And I'm like, that's what kept me from going back to a job. That's what kept me whatever. That's what kept me in my marriage. That's what kept me doing a lot of things that I shouldn't have been doing.
0: It's so funny because I think you've just hit on the the main point that most women don't recognize is their laziness. Maybe they'd call themselves lazy or unmotivated or stuck or not feeling the right way. It's actually fear. It's actually masquerading. All of those things are masquerading. And it is so interesting to me that in hindsight, you can see it. But when you're in it, you can't see it. You're just like, I'm unmotivated. I don't want to get off the couch. I don't feel like I can do what I need to do. We're so self-blaming. And Uh those things,
1: the way that you're putting it, blames ourselves. If you say, I'm just afraid,
0: well, there's no place to really place blame there. Right, right, exactly. So you have even taken the move now to New York City. Is that right? You decided to move to yep. another but completely different side
1: of the country. <laughs> I moved 3,000 miles away from where I lived for 20 years at the age of 55. I did it kind of on a whim. I'm not going to lie. I was with my, I was with my triplets for their birthday in New York. We all gathered, they were in college and we all gathered and I was flying home and I'm like, why am I flying back to Portland? I don't need to be here anymore. This is where I raised my kids. And it was a fantastic place to raise my kids. But I'm from the East Coast. My family is back there. My brother's in New York. One of my kids was already here. Now two of them are here. And it was like, you know what? I think it might be time. It's funny. Once I decided,
0: i never looked back. <laughs> this is like, you have popped the cork on possibility, which I just, <laughs> I absolutely love seeing how light and bright your face is and how filled with possibility you are. Yeah, you know, it's been a real journey because, you know, I came
1: to New York and then eight months later, COVID hit. Yeah. So it was, this has been the slow burn on New York, you know,
0: <laughs> I didn't exactly get to
1: <laughs> have the fun stuff first, but now it's so amazing because it's like, now it's like better than ever. And yeah. I'm here and I'm settled, you know, yeah. so it's good. Yeah,
0: I wonder if you have any other, not advice or just encouragement for women that are still in that hard place. Maybe they're struggling with a mental health diagnosis or a substance abuse issue, and they kind of don't know how to take the next step that you took. What would you say to them?
1: I think it's kind of what we were talking about earlier. It's like, what do you want or don't want for your life? Because as far as I know, you're only going around once. So you really got to make a decision on that. We don't know how long, you know, my best friend's from college, super healthy girl, wonderful person. She she gets up, she has a little, she has a stroke and she's been, she's recovering, she's doing well. She's about to go into rehab. Pulmonary embolism dies. You know what? We don't know. We just don't know. And that happened right before I moved. And I was like, if I didn't need a sign, I just got one. You do what you you do what you want to do. And fear is huge and it is powerful. And I get that. And I had that, but if you can get past that, there is a whole world after world waiting for you. I'm not just being Pollyanna about that.
0: I mean, I mean it. I also love that your um, encouragement there really dovetails with this other advice that that I have heard women talk about, which says, Can you really square the life that you're living right now with the values that you thought you would have as a midlife woman? Are you the person that you thought you'd be? Are you living your happiness? Are you living with passion every day? Because I don't think any of us, when we're like, you know, seven, eight years old or even teenagers, imagine ourselves as some like sad, stuck midlife woman, right? And so I love the idea of bringing those values in line with one another. And part of that is asking yourself, you know, how long has it been since I did something really, really scary like you've done those things you did all very, very scary. Yeah, they
1: were, they were, they are, they still are today. Sometimes you said it, I don't have anything to add to that. That's exactly right.
0: Carolyn, I cannot wait to hear the next chapter, all of the chapters you're going to write all the way through your 70s, 80s, and 90s. (laughs) You're going to be a kick-ass woman for sure. Thank you so much for joining us. It was amazing to talk with you. Great to talk to you as well.